You know, this is, uh, well, after today's episode, there's only four left this year. We got Friday, we got next week, we got Monday, Wednesday, then Friday, then next Friday is a very What the Truck Christmas. Thank you all who've helped fill our Christmas tree over here with such joy. It's absolutely fantastic. We have to have the Guinness record for most freight ornaments on a tree, but there's a lot more companies out there than what I see on here. So I don't know what your marketing managers are waiting for. You know, if you're seeing this right now, go send them a Slack and be like, what the hell are you doing? Our ornament's not on Dooner's tree. It's not front and center on FreightWaves TV. What are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with our marketing program? Sorry. I've been a... I enjoy the holiday spirit. By the way, my holiday spirit animal is TikToker Melo Yoshi. He dropped this video. Y'all, look at these Christmas decorations my mama got me. She got me this little mug with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And she got me this little light-up red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And she got me this little welcome mat with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And I got all these fun little towels of little red trucks hauling Christmas trees. And I got whatever this thing is, but it's got a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And I got this oven mitt here with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. Then she got me this nice little runner from my table. And a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And a box with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And she got me this stocking with a little red truck hauling a Christmas tree. And she got me this little red truck that lights up hauling a Christmas tree. I'm never going to be able to see a red truck hauling a Christmas tree without hearing that voice. I like the pause too. We got a guy Christian here who sounds a little bit like him before the show. I was like, Christian, you, you got to give me this line read. You got to throw it at me. But he wasn't quite as good as Melo Yoshi. So Melo Yoshi, I mean, like, you're the goat. You're the goat of the holiday spirit. Hey, I told you, if your company's doing something for the holidays, let me know. If you're doing something awesome, you're doing two toy drives, anything like that. Well, local Chattanooga company, Repower, did just that. They uh, Repower was honored to partner with the Tennessee Trucking Association's Young Professional Council to support Holland for the Holidays by providing educational and active toys for Eastside Elementary in Chattanooga. Tis the season. They said thank you, Reliance Partners, Jesse Merritt and Kevin Dupree. That's from Jake Battles. Hey, thank you, Repower team. Thanks for giving back to the community. Like I said, if your company's doing something, let me know. Happy to feature it here on the show. Give you guys a shout out to bring some good into the world. Let's finish strong. Let's finish strong. And now a little shout out to us as well. FreightWaves, A.T. Kearney survey has named FreightWaves one of the most reliable sources for freight research. Craig Fuller tweeted, A.T. Kearney surveyed major shippers for the most reliable sources for trucking research and FreightWaves topped the rankings, squeezing out the ATA. There's also FTR, Atri, ACT, NPTC, Uber, and Coyote were mentioned as well by shippers on the list. So, hey, thank you, A.T. Kearney. On today's episode of What the Truck, episode 661, I'm talking to Freightways' Rachel Premack about if a trucker should be on the open AI board, if there should be a trucking Barbie doll, the dangers of Panera's charged lemonade, and the lifestyle of dinks. Corey at Dad of Two Roadside takes us inside the world of truck towing and claps back at an article 
that actually we published that called that called towing predatory. He said, hey, look, I got another perspective on this. And I said, Corey, you come on Want the Truck and you share that with us. Freightwave's Justin Martin's going to be here. He's going to break down the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer, daring bridge rescues, lowering CDL standards, FedEx truck loot lootings and hauling nukes. And then we got Florida International University College of Businesses, Dr. Gregory G. Maloney, PhD. He shares the latest in supply chain education and a whole bunch more. And since Rachel's here right now, Let's get over to our editorial director here at Freightways. Rachel, what's up, girl? Hey, um, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. Are you are you, uh, are you excited for the home stretch here? When do you break? I break on like the fifth yeah. after the fifteenth of what the truck. I go back to the northeast and I see family and I do the same thing every year. I my I'm I'm gone like that week from like the twenty the week of the twenty fifth I think that time like Christmas Day up till New Year's like the day after New Year's Day, so I'm here for the like it's just funny because when we were still in school you know you got like that like two to three week break and you never really thought like oh there will be a time in my life where I don't just have two weeks off every December but um. Here's the you trick. Actually have just to take don't take any now. don't take any time off during the rest of the year like I do and just bank it and then just take it right at the end of the year. But this is your last episode of the year too because you you are not free next Wednesday so you won't be on the show. So thank you for a great year of coming on What the Truck Rachel. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on every every Wednesday. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I want you here with us in the new year. And a new article came out from NBC. Another person has died drinking charged lemonade at Panera Bread, Rachel. Uh, Panera Bread's charged lemonade is blamed. This is from NBC News. They said Panera Bread's charged lemonade is blamed for a second death. Lawsuit alleges Dennis Brown, 46. He drank three of these highly caffeinated beverages before suffering a cardiac arrest in October. I believe there's, what, 300, uh, 390 milligrams of caffeine in every 30 ounce charged lemonade and 30 teaspoons of sugar. This dude drank three of them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if, if you have like a Red Bull or a Monster or even a Celsius uh, for the for the more elite among us, you know, you wouldn't have three Celsiuses. You wouldn't have three Red Bulls. They don't taste that good. In fact, they taste like an energy drink. They taste like they're highly caffeinated. But the charged lemonades are really interesting because you're drinking them, you're drinking them, you don't really know what you're doing. Maybe I think some folks who have died as a result of these drinks have maybe been on some other medication or had some other pre-existing uh, condition. So I, I don't know, should the charged lemonade be as easily refillable as it is? Because in most Paneras, you can just take your cup and keep going, keep going, get more and more and more. Um, there's no barrier to lemonade. There's no barrier to lemonade. So I think um, I think maybe Panera should have some more, I guess, uh, hurdles around their, their charged wow. lemonade because it tastes good. And, you know, people might just keep drinking and drinking, not really realizing that this is not uh, advisable by any means. Well, Rachel, do us all a favor. Stick to one. Don't don't drink multiple in a day. I'll ask uh, Corey later, DOT Roadside. He's a trucker. I'll ask him how many energy drinks he drinks a day. We'll find out uh, from him to see what's what's safe. Yeah, I don't. I think you should definitely not have more than two in a day. The day that I did the Alaska trucker ride along, yeah, um, I had two energy drinks that day, and that was a world record for me. Diminishing um, returns, diminishing returns after a uh, after you have too many of them, it just starts making you you sick. I've made that mistake at conferences before. You, you just you can't fight it. Eventually, you need sleep. 
Rachel Transforce just put out a press release. They're trying to they're trying to get a Barbie trucker. Apparently, Barbie has never ever made a uh, a truck driver Barbie before. They put out a press release and it says Transforce, a leader in truck driver recruiting and staffing industry, is excited to announce the launch of its groundbreaking campaign, Barbies in Truck, and to showcase inclusion for women in trucking. The campaign calls for Mattel to introduce a new addition to the Barbie career lineup, a truck driver. It says uh, women only make up 14% of the workforce in trucking, but they only make up about 7% of drivers, you know, so that number's even worse over there. Do we need a Barbie truck driver? I think it's a fun idea. Like, I'm all for the Barbie trucker. But I think probably the larger issue that's keeping women from becoming drivers is the fact that the training is so cha- is uh, not particularly welcoming to, to most women because what often happens, and we actually have seen cases of sexual assault, sexual misconduct from women who have been in these sort of training programs, you, you know, finish CDL school, you're in some sort of driver training program, uh, with with a with some sort of fleet, and you're required to spend you know weeks on end in a semi truck with some usually very often a guy you've never met before, and they're training you, and this person could be you know more than likely this person's a good guy he's not going to do anything weird, but we have heard of cases and seen cases reported in the media and uh, even culminating in some lawsuits of women actually being sexually assaulted by their trainers. Um, So I think looking at things like that, how do we make the training process not such a, you know, terrifying and potentially dangerous type of type of field? uh, I think that would probably be more helpful in getting more women in driving than the Barbie trucker. Although I am, to be clear, all for the Barbie trucker. But I think there are bigger, bigger hurdles uh, in place rather than just not having a doll who is driving a truck. Okay. Well, maybe we could do both. I mean, I think we should start with what you brought. Let's do both. Let's do both. (laughs) Let's do both. Let's do both. Okay. What you put out an article last week, truckers and AI open AI was the the big story with Sam Altman coming back and forth and everything. Um, they gave a board seat to Microsoft, but now you say they should give a board seat to a truck driver. Why do you feel that way? So truck driving is the, we, you know, since I started covering this industry in 2018, over and over, you keep hearing, you know, uh, autonomous trucker is going to disrupt the industry, going to save all this on un- this amount on labor, going to, uh, you know, revolutionize how we uh, plan routes and whatnot. But so so and, and I think there's been a lot of conversation around the fact that, you know, this autonomous revolution is not imminent. It's not coming next year. It's not even coming in the next decade when it comes to taking drivers out of the seat what's gonna what's what we are going to see is kind of like a more slow gradual process that results in drivers not being uh as instrumental as they were you know in the next decade and possibly less than the next decade we're going to see more and more of these trucks equipped with uh advanced driver technology that does lane changes and uh you know Speeding and slowing down. Uh, all the driver has to do is just have their wheels, uh, their hands on the wheel. Uh, we're going to see basically the driver's skill set be more and more devalued, not quite as valuable as it was right now or five to 10 years ago. Uh, and I think in dri- truck drivers in particular, they have an understanding of how these sorts of technologies 
they can certainly solve major issues in a given industry, but they can also just sort of be a band-aid or not really even solve the issue that folks might be looking to solve. So I think having someone who will be directly affected by these sort of autonomous technologies in the coming years, having someone who can talk about, who can represent those sort of interests on OpenAI, which is on the OpenAI board, which is certainly the most influential organization when it comes to these sort of autonomous technologies, it makes sense to have their voice included in such a board. I mean, maybe labor's not on the board by design, right? I mean, a lot of freight yeah, brokers, I, got, I, angry. I a lot of freight right brokers got angry at your article and they said, well, what about a freight broker? Like, why are you just advocating for truckers? What about what about brokers, Rachel? What do you have to say to that community? I think a broker could be good too. I think I'm, you know, I said truck driver uh, throughout the piece, but I also said anyone, frankly, anyone in the trades or anyone in, in trucking period, they understand that this technology is not just, you know, oh, great. We automated it, problem solved, let's walk away and we're all good now. I think anyone with an understanding of the issues in trucking or the issues that an industry that is um, getting a lot of the sort of technology investment, uh, they would be a good they would be a good person to have on such a board. Interesting. Including and all of our friends on the brokerage side. Okay. Do you have a nominee? I don't have a nominee right now, but I have gotten quite a few, you know, messages and uh, emails and folks from from drivers who are definitely interested in it. Um, the first name that does come to mind is certainly Gord McGill, who is a truck driver who writes a Substack about he last one day. Driving. He would last one day in that room before he got banned, like he was on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, he is the first name that comes to mind. I'll let I'll let the powers that be work through it, but you know, he is he is very informed on autonomous technologies for sure and very informed on, you know, driving, period. I mean, if they live stream the meetings and they put Gord in them, I would I would definitely be watching those board meetings. Oh, yeah, that would be great. That would be awesome for sure. Well, Rachel, this this has swept the nation in Finchwit this week, and now it's gone into the freight community, too. Everybody's talking about dinks. Let's roll a tape. We're dinks. We're going to get asked daily when we plan on having kids. We're dinks. Of course, we're going to go out to eat every night after work. We're dinks. We don't have to ask our family for financial help or to watch our kid when we want to go out. We're dinks. We're going to go to Costco and buy all the snacks in bulk that we want. We're dinks. We have disposable income to spend on whatever we would like and don't have to spend on a kid. We're dinks. I'm going to go to every football game and play 18 holes whenever I want. We're dinks. We're going to get asked at every single family event what we're doing with our life. Wow. So, Rachel, what do you think about the dink movement? You just got married. Uh, any plans to be a long-term dink, uh, eating all the snacks that you want? Although, I got to tell you, I have kids and I have a hell of a lot more snacks now than, like, before I had kids. Yeah, I feel like having kids, you would have a lot more snacks. But yeah. putting that issue aside, I mean, people can do whatever they want with their lives, I suppose. I, I feel like, as someone who's been living the dink lifestyle for... uh one month and 30 days i guess you could say because yeah. my anniversary my two-month anniversary is officially tomorrow uh for getting married i mean i don't know i feel like if you don't want to have kids that's fine that's your prerogative but on the other hand i think a lot of people you know when they're 40 or 50 or 60 they kind of start to regret it they wish they could have made a different choice. And that's not something you can really change your mind on. I think it's fine to live the dink lifestyle for, you know, a few years. But 
my wife and I did for like th- the first three years of our marriage. We were like, we, yeah. you know, when you get married, like I didn't realize this because I'm a guy. I thought you like proposed to your wife and you get married like three, six months later. And it's like a year and a half later. <laughs> so we're living together for like yeah, three yeah. years before we even get married and have our kids. But like, that was kind of always the plan. It's like, okay, we're going to go have fun as a couple. And then like down the road, we'll, we'll have kids. And we'll, and we did that in our early thirties. I, I feel like some people like they, they put too much pressure on themselves and that's why they put out stupid videos, like where they use tenuous yeah yeah like it's fine no one told you they look the everyone who posted the dink video it looks pretty young to me not like you know young young but they look like they're in their late 20s early 30s nothing if that like nothing. what about rachel what about dink team drivers i got a meme for you look at this we're dinks we can take 99 cent spot loads with no plan for a backhoe pursing all the snacks that loves dink team drivers that's like what about that I feel like there's a lot of dink teen drivers. I mean, actually, no, more so than that. I feel like there's a lot of husband wife team drivers where the kids are gone, have their own families out of the house. So they're kind of like essentially dinks. Um, So I don't know, because then the other argument I've heard is, okay, you have kids early and then when you're, you know, in your 40s, you the kids are out of the house or in college, whatever. And then you have a little bit more money than you would in your 20s, probably a little bit more like maturity and perspective and whatnot. And then you kind of, you know, go travel and buy snacks, I guess. If if I were if I were to be a dink, which I am, I would maybe save money, like go on a trip instead of just buying a bunch of snacks, but whatever. (laughs) Not my, not my, uh, not my life to live, to live. Uh, Well, Rachel, people who want to follow your life. Once again, thank you for an amazing year of coming on (laughs) what the truck. I must let you go now, but where can people find you? Uh, I'm at freight waves. Uh, you can go freightwaves.com slash modes or search me on LinkedIn at Rachel Premack or on Twitter at RRPRE. Very, very cool. Well, thank you and happy holidays. And thanks for stopping by the show, Rachel. Thanks for a great year. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile, take a look at this. This SUV is going to get bullied. This is like just embarrassing. Just getting crushed by this four-wheeler. Guys, there's going to be a lot of stress driving this holiday season. Please don't be these people. This is so stupid. And even if you think you have your SUV, you might get crushed. Look at this guy. He's up on the wall. Absolutely pathetic. You know who's not, though? Let's talk to Dr. Gregory G. Maloney, PhD, the Department of Marketing and Logistics at Florida International University College of Business. Doctor, the college names are always a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And Duner, thank you so much for having me on. That was a, a great introduction, um, and it's, it's great to be with you here. Yeah, are you excited the new Grand Theft Auto is going to be set in Florida? I I am. I'm I'm also just to to continue with your previous conversation. Um, I have three kids who are soon going to be out of high school. So my wife and I are looking forward to be dinks again. Also, As yep. that's um, that's <laughs> twenty. I yeah, know, like, I didn't know that term. I didn't know I, that term until earlier. But wow, that's something I'm looking forward to definitely. After twenty years, it's good to go back to being a dink. I would say right, after, right, exactly. after the kids, although mine are like in mine are seven and nine. So right now it's sort of like, okay, don't grow up too fast. Like, let's just cherish it for now. We'll have plenty of time later on. By the way, I was looking at your background. I thought something was really interesting. You worked 13 years at Bacardi before we jump into the school stuff. What is something that would surprise us about rum logistics? Surprise us about rum logistics. Oh, uh, well, so Bacardi, Bacardi doesn't just do rum. Yeah. Cardi is a is you know big company. They 
I was there when uh, we purchased Grey Goose. We also own Martini Rossi's. Uh, there's a lot of international uh, things related to it. Um, something that would surprise us, I think just uh, one of the things that people are most unfamiliar with in that industry is the three-tiered system, um, which means that you have to have a manufacturer, a distributor, and a retailer, and, and they all legally have to be separate. Um, we can't, uh, I say we, when I was with Bacardi, we couldn't interact or sell directly to consumers. Um, distributors couldn't do that also. We couldn't interact or sell directly to retailers. So there were the, all these laws that created separation. So while in a lot of other industries, um, you know, you've got um, uh, distribution and transportation that's kind of there for efficiency purposes. Um, but within that industry, it's there required by law. And a lot of that is kind of, uh, you know, post-prohibition things that were put into place to uh, be able to allow to tax that product as much as possible. Um, you know, other than I think tobacco, um, alcohol is probably the highly, the most highly taxed product in the U.S. So uh, there's just some some really kind of interesting structures in place that are are again are required by law as opposed to just there for efficiency sake. That was interesting. I'm, I'm glad I asked you that. Let's move over to the school now. You, you've got all this knowledge, real world operational knowledge. You're over at the school. Tell us about the programs there. How are they set up to help students? How are they set up to, to, set, to help companies? Sure. So that was, so that was a great segue also because asking about my background, uh, one of the things I really like to reinforce with our program is that you know, we're not just purely academic. We are more about uh, having industry interaction Having a lot of our professors, um, if not all of our professors, have actual real-world business experience. And our program, uh, the, um, the undergraduate degree in logistics and supply chain and the master's in logistics and supply chain are both based in the College of Business. And the thing that we really try to emphasize with these degrees is the idea of, well, it's good to learn specifics to a trade, but within any trade, you need to have business acumen. You need to be able to understand how to negotiate contracts. You need to be able to uh, you know, understand how to manage people and how to manage processes. And so uh, I think one of the real nice things about our program that maybe differentiates us from some of the other logistics programs across the country or across the world is the fact that we are really business-centric. And we're trying to, uh, we're trying to generate you know, this next level of managers and, and executives of people that um, you know, are going out into the world with skills to be able to, uh, you know, not just do the things needed that run the business, but also the understanding to kind of oversee the entire thing and, and run the business. You know, I see within uh, within trucking a lot, we've got a lot of independent uh, truck owners across the country, a lot of really small uh, truck businesses um, that obviously make up a, you know, a big portion of, of the capacity that's out there. And, uh, you know, I feel like with a lot of people that I interact with, um, you know, having a little more business background, business knowledge is, is one of the things that is uh, kind of would be really helpful and really beneficial to a lot of them. So we have these programs, um, the undergraduate program and the master's program are both available um, in person or fully online degrees for people that, you know, are maybe in a truck traveling around the world or the country all of the time and can't necessarily be in the classroom. Um, but we really try to emphasize, again, not just understanding the specifics that are needed within individual trades, within logistics, but also the ability to manage that from a business perspective. 
Interesting. So you brought up a lot of interesting points there. Let's go a little bit deeper. What do you believe those skills are that the next generation of workers are going to need in supply chain? Sure. So I, I obviously I mentioned the, the business management component, but um, the other two things to me that are critically important, which uh, you know you just touched on with Rachel a minute earlier, is technology. Yeah. Technology. Well, and I'll just say the two to me that are most important: technology and data. Uh, which, while those are related to me, are, are slightly different. So uh, the first thing is, as you see with you know this whole concept of AI and getting into automated uh, trucks that are that are automated and, and autonomous, um, we see that technology is changing things. And uh, this has happened throughout history. It's going to continue to happen. Uh, technology, uh, as Rachel mentioned, doesn't always get it right the first time, but it does eventually tend to get things right and tend to improve things. So the people that get involved in the technology and embrace the technology and learn how to utilize the technology are always the ones that end up kind of at the front end of, of wherever things end up. Um, you know, obviously the AI idea is going to change things with trucking. Uh, there's a lot of other technologies that we're seeing that are gonna change things within all types of of modalities of transportation in all areas of logistics. The people that are learning and understanding those technologies are gonna be part of the jobs, those next level jobs that have to manage those things because we're nowhere near the, the whole Terminator scenario of AI just suddenly becoming, you know, uh, thinking by itself and kind of taking things over. We're at the point now where these new technologies are coming and we need people to program we need people to manage them. We need people to, to do things to make sure that the businesses are still running the way that they should be running. I don't see jobs necessarily going away. I see jobs shifting to different areas. So learning about the latest technologies is really one of the keys to make sure that you're relevant in you know the next couple of decades of, of business. Yeah. The second thing yeah. is this, this concept of, business, of, of data. And, you know, I remember when I started, you know, way back at Bacardi a long time ago, um, a lot of things were, um, were done, a lot of business deals were done kind of like by a handshake and, and based on relationships. And while I don't ever want to downplay relationships in business, understanding how to use data to make fact-based decisions is critically important for businesses today to be able to move forward. Companies that... There's so much data out there today. There's an insane amount of data that's available to everybody. Companies that know how to take this data, use it to make fact-based decisions that are now better in order to drive their business forward, make more money for them and for their partners, are the companies that, again, are going to be at the head of the line in the future. So those, to me, are really the, the key, the, the technology and the data. Now, that's how you feel, and that's your self-awareness, not the AI self-awareness. What about the student self-awareness? How do they feel? What is important to students, the next generation of workers? What, like, what kind of issues they bring to you? Sure. So, you know, this generation is a, a little different. Like, you know, every, every generation, you know, I think has different quirks to it. Um, one of the things for sure that I, I'm hearing a lot from this latest generation is concerns about the economy. And, um, you know, where I live in South Florida, um, the housing market has become uh, insanely, um, really just unaffordable. 
for people that you know aren't already kind of like in the game. So uh, there are real financial concerns, I think, coming out from this younger generation of students. So what are they looking for? They're looking for jobs and, and, and sources of income that are sustainable and are um, you know, something that they see as, as kind of good long-term prospects. Um, you know, back when I was coming out of college and the internet boom was happening, I think there were a lot of people that were willing to take risk and say, hey, you know, I'll start with this, get in with this internet startup and maybe I won't make a lot of money, but hey, if we, if we get lucky, I'll be a millionaire overnight. And, and a lot of people took that risk and some people did well and a lot of people didn't and then just kind of went back to kind of a normal career. I think this younger generation is, is less open to that kind of risk. They don't want to be living in their parents' house forever. They don't want to be struggling uh, to go on vacations and to do fun things. Uh, so finding jobs and companies that um, are stable and then also have um, kind of progression plans so that they understand what their future is and can actually see themselves kind of long-term building a career in, uh, in that particular company. I think that stuff is, is really key. And then obviously something that you know, uh, has come out in the last couple of years uh, with the whole uh, COVID uh, and everything and everyone went remote for a while. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are thinking, oh, this younger generation, they just want to stay remote. They don't want to come into the office. I think there is a group that um, kind of likes that as, a, as an option. I think that what I see with my stronger students, uh, with the people that are really motivated, they do want to get back in the office. They like the idea of interacting with people. However, this whole concept of the, re the remote work has kind of brought up the idea of, well, there's flexibility and uh, you know maybe if companies uh, are willing to give me a little flexibility where I can do remote every once in a while so that I can take care of things at home or manage things uh, for my personal life um, having a little bit of that flexibility I think are two things that are are kind of really key very cool well it was it was fantastic to meet you uh people who, who, who like this segment they want to learn from you they want to go to attend the school where do we send them to Thank you, Duner. I mean, it was it was great meeting you. Also, thank you so much. I, I love your show. Um, if they do want to find more out about um, our program, the first thing they can do is go to fiu.edu. That's just the main website for our university, uh, which, by the way, was ranked the fourth best public university in the country this year. Um, nice. They want to go. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. If they want to go directly to um, the um, our web page within the College of Business, which uh, the College of Business also has an international business program that was ranked number two in the country. Um, my program, the logistics program, the master's one that we're talking about, uh, you can find at MSLSCM. That stands for the Master's of Science in Logistics and Supply Chain Management. So MSLSCM.FIU.EU. And if anyone has a question for me, I'm more than happy to interact with anyone directly. You can email me at gmaloney, that's G-M-A-L-O-N-E-Y, at F-I-U-E And Thank you thank so much, Junior, for your time. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, hopefully we catch you in the new year. Take care. You too. Happy holidays. Take care. Right, take it easy. All right. Speaking of happy holidays, elsewhere, or unhappy holidays, Dion Leem TV 
says, seriously, who steals a family's newly purchased Christmas tree? This happened to a man in San Mateo on Friday evening, 10 minutes after he went to the store to run an errand. Watches the white SUV, snips each rope, and loads the tree into his vehicle like it's no big deal. SMPD told me yesterday this is a unique situation, and even though he didn't catch this Grinch, he, she, is definitely getting added to Santa's naughty list. She says, P.S., I sped up the video since the original provided by a nearby business was pretty long. The Scrooge isn't even moving quickly. Like he has no care in the world. Alan Artell says, here's what happened. Both cars were at the tree lot and both families wanted the same tree. The previous owner won. And instead of finding another tree, the Infinity family followed the car, waited for an opportunity to absconded with the desired tree. That's a theory. Daniel Julio says, rate the transload work. Nice transloading. Christopher Grassy. Who does this? It's a freaking Christmas tree. Justin Shepard, talk about the grinchiest thing you could do. That's really low. Plus the dude... Uh, driving the getaway car didn't even look like he couldn't afford a Christmas tree. Yeah, he had that nice infinity. Joseph Daniel, he says the tree was just co-brokered. And Kelly Clevin says, that's jacked up. I hope karma gives him food poisoning. Yeah, I hope you throw up that eggnog, you jerk. All right, Corey at Dad of Two Roadside. What's up, Corey? What's up, dude? What are you doing, Thanks man? Where are you on. Hey, where are you sitting right now? Where are you hanging out? So I, I, I rushed back to our office in uh, southern New Hampshire here in Hampstead. I rushed back over here. I wanted to try to get on live with you today. I, I know we originally talked about a call in, but man, you put on such a good product. I had to do it right for you. Well, good. I like I like seeing you. I like seeing you in person. We've interacted a lot on the Twitter sphere. If people remember, one time you you filmed like a day in your life of towing, and we showed the whole thing on here between segments. It was really it was really cool. People who have never met you though, they don't know who you are. What are you guys all about? Yeah, we're we're a, a towing and, and automotive relocation company. We started out as a roadside company, hence the name. Um, we were uh, back in 21, 22, we were in the top 1% of all AAA providers in the country. Um, we transitioned the business to doing uh, fleet and relocation services. So we pick up uh, lease cars, fleet cars. We, we help our fleet customers with their towing and, and repair needs. And uh, we're based in Southern New Hampshire, but we do run all five New England states. And you know quite a bit about Boston. So my first question for you is, how, what do you think of the Ducks this year? Look at the make way for ducklings. They put them in their nice Christmas outfits like they do every year. And here is how they're dressed this year. I tell you, it, it, it's it's something you got to go see. You know, being from Boston, you, you you get it. This is, a you know, it's kind of an iconic thing. And it's something every year I try to take the kids down and and, and do the tour and see all the lights and definitely got to stop by and see the ducks. Yeah. Natives. If you're like, if you're in new England at some point, elementary school or even middle school, your school will take you to Boston and you'll do like the whole make way for ducklings thing. It's like ingrained in our psyche from childhood. So is going to Kowloon on route one in Saugus. You know, we all know this Wednesday night in Massachusetts, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, this is probably everywhere, but Wednesday and Thanksgiving, it seems like it's especially bad. Everyone's back from school. There's so many colleges in the area and everyone's getting a little bit too liquored up. Here's what happened at Kowloon. Roll that tape. And this was like the big incident. This thing actually went viral. Everyone saw this big brawl, right, Corey? And then we're like, all right, Kowloon's in the news. That's funny. And then over the weekend, someone died in the parking lot. Some guy, he was wearing a neck, a necklace around his neck, uh, like a lanyard that had a knife attached to it. And somehow he, like, it, what is the story, Corey? fell and the knife went through his neck? So they're, they're saying it was a chest wound. Um, you know, it, it's it's like the, the equivalent of winning the lottery, you know, you know, he basically had a lanyard. Uh, it's got a knife attached to the end of it, and and at some point he he fell, and that knife ended up piercing his chest, and and it, and it was a fatal wound. You know, my my heart goes out to the Kenny family and and the first responders because 
mean, an absolute tragic, you know, tragic thing. But back to the the Kowloon, you know, so they're they're closing up shop. They're uh, they're actually going to tear it down and redevelop that whole site, just like most of Route One has been done over the last ten years. And uh, I think that's kind of putting putting a a burden on on the Kowloon that they're not ready for. People are trying to get there and 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 before it closes up and. Sometimes you get a lot of people in a tight space and, and drinking. It, it never ends well. <laughs> no, a lot of, not on Massachusetts, not around a holiday, and especially not no. at Kowloon. It's kind of, Kowloon's kind of like, you know, like Star Wars, like the cantina on Tatooine. It's a bit like that. You get like uh, all different types of characters in there. They even have like comedy going on. They probably get a little mafia action going on. They probably get a few drug deals going on in the parking lot. But like, it's usually pretty safe. Like as long as you don't wear a knife around your neck and have a freak accident or like start a fight. Yeah, and, and it's and it's a staple, you know what I mean? There, it's one of those places that ever, if you if you want decent Chinese food, that's you, you go. You know, it's an experience all in and of itself. That's what I miss the most they, out here. They don't have like when I moved to California, they don't have like New England style Chinese food there. Here they don't have and like in uh, Tennessee, they don't have New England style Chinese food. It's like its own cuisine, and I didn't realize that until I moved away. Yeah, and, and you know, in, in Kowloon, they've been open since 1950. You know what I mean? It's not like. It, they, you know, it's not like a pop-up or anything, man. They, these guys have been around for generations. Yeah, what a place. What a place. If you go, don't be scared. If you're in the New England area, go check out Kowloon. Just, just, just be careful. The reason I brought you on is we published an article last week about predatory towing, right, in Indiana. And you took some umbrage with it. You're like, you know what? This is portraying the industry bad. And I have a counterpoint to the Indiana Tops predatory truck towing list that uh, John Gallagher put out. Tell me what you didn't like about the article or what, what you thought was wrong about it. So there's a few things. First of all, it's sponsored by the ATRI, and I, and I get it. The trucking industry has has their own guys that go and do their their surveys. But you know, as as I read through the article, some of the things that jump out at me right off the bat is excessive. You know, one of the the first highest rank is excessive uh, predatory towing practices due to hourly rate or pound rate at eighty two percent. That was the most. But what I, what I find interesting is that they go and survey a bunch of invoices. And you could do that in my localized area. You could take an invoice from me and an invoice from the guy down the street, and they're vastly different. And that's one, due to operating costs. Two, I have insurance. He doesn't. Three, my trucks are registered and insured, and I have DOT and MC numbers. He doesn't. You know, So there's all different ways to go about entering the towing industry, and it's a very low barrier if you can afford a truck and get proper insurance. Um, you know, to, to say that it's predatory because of the charges really is it's kind of portraying it in the wrong way you don't you recover to recover a semi from an accident is hours and hours and hours of work i posted a couple weeks ago uh, two semis collided one kind of went over the edge of a bridge uh, on route 90 the mass pike that required they had six rotators there now a rotator should be no less than $5,000 an hour. So that's to cover the cost of the truck and the operator. That's what it costs you to run from the time you leave the shop till the time you return to the shop. Uh, it should cost you somewhere in the vicinity of $5,000 an hour. Um, wow. As an industry, we kind of say $100, for $100 per every 100000 of equipment. Um, you know, one of the other things they talk about is the additional add-ons uh, for administrative time and that sort of thing. Admin time... I've I've dealt I've spent no less than 40 hours in one entire week just dealing with an insurance company on a recovery. So between phone calls, sending pictures, 
dealing with uh, the claims adjuster coming out and wanting to see the car three times. I had 40 hours invested in a car that I only I only billed out $700 on. So you, you get a lot of that where you recover something, you don't necessarily get back what you've got into it. So yes, there are times when the pricing gets inflated, not because you're trying to inflate that price, because you're trying to cover for losses. So you get wins and losses, and you try to cover those losses with the wins. The other one is the insurance companies are really, really, really trying to do away with towing. And I get it. Um, one tow truck driver every seven days is killed roadside. It is, pro- is our uh, workers' comp rate right now. Mine is $12 per hundred. So for every hundred dollars I pay a guy, I pay $12 in insurance just for my workers' comp. Uh, my truck insurance has gone up 22% this year. So truck and business insurance. So, you know, the costs are rising. Trucks have doubled in price in the last three years. Um, well, four years probably, they've doubled in price. So to say that it's predatory because of pricing is is, is not not the way it works. Um, and frankly, it's just a way they're trying to reduce their their nut and what they're paying. And this is their way of trying to trying to throw a you know a truck driver shortage out there. Corey, let me ask you something, because in here, OIDA is quoted, and they said, um, the real issue centers around non-consensual tows, which occur when towing companies are called not by the truck driver involved in the accident, but by the highway patrol concerned with clearing accidents as quickly as possible. How, how does that work? What is this non-consensual tow? So consent is you break down on the side of the road, you call me direct, we, we agree to a price, and I come out and do it. Non-consent is you get into an accident on the highway, you break down in a, in a, in a bad spot, that vehicle has to be removed for the safety of other uh, operators and for your safety and the safety of others around you. So the police department will notify those that are on a rotation list to come out and remove that vehicle. And yes, non-consent towing is expensive. Um, Massachusetts actually restricts what you can charge for non-consent towing, and a lot of states are going in that route. But again, that's what causes the spike in pricing, is if, if a state like Massachusetts restricts you to $108 an hour your first hour and that truck costs you $500 an hour to run, where are you going to make up that difference? Well, you're going to make it up in storage. You're going to make it up in additional fees, administrative fees, uh, gate fees, things like that. Now, are there predatory towing? Yeah. I mean, I've seen these clips, these guys chaining guys' trucks in Walmart's parking lot. Like that stuff's ridiculous and it is absolutely predatory. And we're no different than any other industry. You know, there's double brokers, there's good brokers, there's bad truckers who steal freight, there's good truckers who deliver on time. The towing industry is no different than anybody else. I, like I, I'll, I'll say this: the tow trucks in Austin are horrible. Those guys are predatory vultures. I remember I was moving a girl I was dating at the time into her apartment, and we parked the van, the U-Haul. We're getting stuff out. It's in this parking this parking lot, and the guy he lifted us up. We we're in there, and I'm coming out holding the cinder block because her bed was on like cinder blocks. You know, we're like she's a college student. We're the Old bed school. was on. So no, I'm walking outside. I got the cinder block in my hand, and the truck driver. He, at first, I think he thought I was going to attack him with it. And I was like, I was like, dude, what the f- are you doing? You know, I mean, what the f are you doing? We're just, uh, we're just, you know, staying here for a couple of minutes. We're moving in. Sorry, I could bleep that in the post one. I didn't mean to say that. Rare slip out of me. Uh, um, but I, I, I was I, like, what I, the I, hell I are you doing? And then he was like, then he wanted one hundred and fifty dollars to drop the damn thing. Yeah, and and that that's the predatory side of this business. So the the, the parking lot vultures, those guys, those guys are absolutely the predatory. The predatory, you know, it's the guys who are. Who are contracted with apartment complexes, shopping malls, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they, they do, they take that way too far. And, you know, instead of, instead of rolling through a parking lot and seeing some, you know, a, 
a bunch of cars with not like a non-resident stickers. They don't have stickers on them for parking or parking permits, you know, and, and trying to engage that. They just go after everybody. And those guys are the predatory part of our industry because they can't hack it in the on the other side. Ugh. So what do you got to say? Leave us with the thought here. Should we, how do we how do we find a good tow truck company? How do we find a company like yours and we avoid these predatory ones? Yeah, if, if you're a fleet manager or, or, or a mechanic or somebody that deals with truck drivers or trucks at all, you, you find your good local guys. Reach out to somebody who's, who's, got, um, who's got an established business, who's got nice equipment. You know, their drivers show up in uniform. You know, it, it's, it makes a difference when, when you get a guy who jumps out looking like, like he just rolled out of bed. He probably just did roll out of bed, and he's not the guy you want hooking your truck because you're probably going to get yourself in trouble. Find a good local guy. And even in, in regional areas, reach out. Like if you're up in my area, I, people call me all the time. I, you know, I don't do semi-trucks. I, I do medium duty and light duty. But I refer a couple of really solid companies first. They're not going to be cheap because you're paying for their expertise. But you know what? You're going to be safe. You're going to get there. And usually you can work something out with them. You must have to see some pretty bad accidents out there you have to show up at, right? Yeah, so so when I started in this industry 30 years ago, I, I did a lot of that non-consent stuff, the PD stuff, and um, I, you know we've transitioned away from that over the years. I've, I've gotten away from from doing that. After you see enough dead bodies, it's enough. You know, you just you, you try to get out of that as fast as you can. There's been some pretty nasty ones over the years. Oh, man, got good holiday plans. Yeah, you know, anytime you get to spend time with your family, it's a great time. Uh, we're actually trying to uh, trying to put together a little family trip to the Bruins, and uh, you know, I'm a season ticket holder, so we're trying to get the rest of kind of do like a big family uh, family night at the Garden. So, oh, always a good time. Always a good time. Well, you guys have a Merry Christmas. People who need a tow, carriers who need your service, carriers who want to avoid the bad guys, they want to work with you. Where do I send them to? Yeah, if you want to reach out to us, even for referrals, that sort of thing, you're welcome to hit us up on uh, on Twitter or uh, Facebook at DOT Roadside. Uh, you can always look us up uh, and give us a call at a, you know at our office, or you can reach out to us by email at info at nhtowtruck.com. Corey, next time we'll have you on and we'll uh, we'll get something lifted. We'll we'll use some video of you lifting a truck or something. We'll go back through uh, your day to day and we'll have you on to walk you through it. But thank you so much. I love the insight that you provided and thank you for correcting some of the misconceptions that may have been in that article. Hey, Dooner, I appreciate you, man. You you got a great product. Keep doing it. Thank you, man. Merry Take Christmas. care. Merry Christmas. All right, everybody. We had someone stealing a Christmas tree, but now let's rate the strap work and see if this goes a little bit better. We are here with Team Elmers today to take down this Christmas tree at the homeowner's house who is donating it for the downtown Christmas tree. They planted it in 1996 and they were going to take it down this fall anyway and came to us and it's a beautiful tree for downtown. Hauling it down there, it's gonna get lit up one more time and then after it is done January 1st, we will cut it down, chip it up, use it on nature trails and throughout parks in the city. Beautiful, Merry beautiful Christmas. tree. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Corey Albert says, whoa, is that common? Do they use manhole covers for tree tents? Sweet video. I don't know. Maybe they got like a local Ninja Turtle chapter or something over there. They got to celebrate Christmas too. Carrie Danucci says, I give it a 10 out of 10 tree rating. Jeff Rue, I give it a Tenenbaum. Ooh, 
Ooh, ooh, a little little cowbell for the pun there. Uh, Michelle Baker says, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing. Also of note, I now silently rate the strap work of loads I see on the highway. Thank you for this new skill. Hey, happy to happy to be of service. Patty says, cool idea, but maybe a log truck would have been better. Seems to be dragging on the road. Yeah, I hope they uh, swept up those needles. And Matthew Lefla, the armchair attorney, he says, I rate this holly with a side of jolly. Thank you, Matthew. Now, Super Trucker Justin Martin. Love it. A little call and response. What's happening, man? Nothing much. That was a beautiful tree. And man, Corey's a Corey's a great uh, ambassador for the industry. He, he, no, he is, and I like that. I like that. Um, I like that how he approached me because you know not every article is going to paint the whole picture. Journalists aren't operators. I mean, a lot of journalists they 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 do the most research they can, but it's always good to also hear from the operators who have a counterpoint. And if you see something like that in an article, and you're like, hey, wait a second, this is different. I don't see the industry this way. Always reach out to me. We're more than happy to discuss it. That we we would love to have counterpoints. I mean, I think that's what fills out the industry. It's a great part of this show is um, other, other people on the ground saying, hey, this is you know, there's a little more nuance to this. That is $5,000 an hour to run a truck. That sounded really expensive. Yeah, I talked to him on the phone the other day. And, you you know, because I, I knew, you know, halt, calling a wrecker to, you know, rescue you, I knew it cost companies, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. I never knew how much it cost them on their end. And, yeah, the insurance is, like, really just eating them alive right now. Justin, the other day I sent you, I, I saw that a video had just popped online, had a big Bitcoin you know, the funny thing about Bitcoin is they always go, oh, this is like legitimate. Like one side of the Bitcoin, oh, it's legitimate. It's like the most legitimate because there's a public ledger. Then the other side of Bitcoin is like it's used in every ransomware attack and every pirated video. And there's this big BTC stupid watermark. So Rockstar was like, well, it's out there. So they decided to just release it on YouTube. They got 70 million views. Here is that trailer. It's absolutely stunning. I had to mute it because it's got a licensed track in it. But um, what was what was your thought on this? Because when I first saw it online, I was like, you know what? It looks a little bit better than GTA 5 Remastered but not that much but then i put it on the big screen tv and i saw the 4k trailer on youtube and i was like "Ooh, okay this this yeah. is something completely different this looks really good yeah it's it's like going the jump from what was a gta 4 to gta 5 it's like you know a little bit in- incremental and the same with this um i think they did a really good job of like capturing the aesthetic of south florida i, I grew up in palm beach county most of my life and yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to this i spent god hundreds of hours in gta 5 so like there are some of the criticisms there are a few people naysayers who are like oh i don't like this they did vice city they did vice city 21 years ago people and it was set in the 80s this is like florida man simulator that was like vice city 80s uh tony tommy vicenti i'm sure he'll be in this one too maybe as like old man ray Liotta. that would be pretty cool or did he die in vice yeah. city? i can't remember um god it's been so long i don't think so because i think i think the, like the main story ends with you getting the mansion at the end but that was vice city was more of like a scarface simulator and that that's a really good point this this is more of like a florida man or i guess with this protagonist a florida woman simulator well you know in the last game you had multiple uh antagonists or protagonists whatever you want to call them in the game and you would just you know switch between them I'm, i imagine this is going to be very similar in the sense that you're going to tell the story from multiple different perspectives yeah, I think with this one, they're switching it to two, just two protagonists. But you think you know, that, that just opens it up to like expansion packs later on. 
Do you think it's like some people, this is one of the dumbest arguments I heard was that some GTA fans are, and I don't think it was GTA fans accusing people of this. I think this was just like other like woke people. They're like, oh, you guys are mad because there's a female protagonist. Have they ever played games? Have they played Tomb Raider? Have they played The Last of Us? Have they played any game? Have they played the new Princess Peach game that's coming out on Switch? It has nothing to do with like if it's a female protagonist or not. I don't think people get that upset as long as it fits the context of the story. Yeah, Metroid, classic, you know, Samus, that she was a pr- female protagonist in those games. Female protagonists in games have been around for, you know, decades now. Yeah. Did they nail the references? Let's take a look at this. IGN put this video out and they compared some of what uh, was in the video to some real life stuff. I mean, the alligators, you got to have the alligators. Uh, you got to have some twerking if this is set in modern times. Absolutely. The guy uh, the guy watering his lawn in the Speedo, it's so good. <laughs> even the guy with like the purple hair was like a real thing. Some of those... Uh, what was the stuff people were eating where they're where they're eating people's faces? What was that drug? The oh, that was uh, bath salts. Oh, yeah, I forgot bath salts. Because if you yeah, think yeah. they must have started hardcore development on this when Florida Man Craze was like super viral on the internet. If you're thinking like 2018, 2019, um, then uh, Tiger King comes out. Yeah, it was an arms race basically with like the, the Florida legislatures. They would they can't ban like one specific drug. So they ban the molecule that is yeah. the active ingredient in that drug. So the mad scientists overseas or whoever is making this stuff, they just switch one molecule over and turns out, oops, it makes people eat other people's faces. Yeah. That's what they would do with like that spice. Remember like in places before there was like Delta eight or anything like that, or Delta nine THCA, there would be spice. And it was like a synthetic. They would just take uh, leaves and they would spray this like synthetic on it. Every time it would get banned, they would just switch the molecule and it would make people go even crazier each time they did that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, that's not just the Florida thing. That's, that's New Jersey too. Yeah. And any of those shady gas stations <laughs> you stop at, they might. Florida, Florida man has a nicer ring to it than New Jersey man. Well, speaking of Florida, Florida is trying to. Here's another story from John Gallagher. He says that CL applicants in Florida may have a faster road to getting a license if testers in the state get an exemption from federal regulators. Specifically, the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles is petitioning the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to allow skills testers at their discretion to continue testing a person applying for a CDL who fails the pre-trip inspection or basic vehicle control segments of the CDL skills test to come back later and retake the only or retake only the failed segment um how does that work now and is this a good idea yeah so most people you know if you can most people can drive a truck you know you, you spend a couple hours behind the wheel and you learn you know not to run over trees or curbs or, or anything like that but the hardest part is, is obviously backing the the pre-trip test a lot of people fail that because it's basically just rote memorization um, some states allow you to use a cheat sheet. Um, some in, in New Hampshire actually requires you to use one. So you basically have like a laminated sheet with everything on a checklist of, of what you're supposed to pick out. So um, mine was in Wisconsin way back in 2007. I, didn't, I wasn't given a cheat sheet. Um, so we, we spent, you know, hours and hours every single day uh, studying for this thing. I don't know. I, 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 th- I think everyone should be given a second chance. Obviously, you know, you spend that kind of money and you go through a test and then, you know, you, you wash out because you forgot to, you know, you know, one little thing on, on your pre-trip. It's a, it's a lot to take in, especially if this isn't something you've ever done before. Um, but I, I think it should be more of like a three strikes you're out kind of thing. Um, if you're failing over and over again, you probably shouldn't be driving a semi. 
Now, one of the reasons I, I, I was curious about this article with you is because you are uh, very sort of vehement about not lowering standards and lowering barriers to yes. entry. But I was, but it's not just you. A lot of truck drivers were like, well, hang on a second. This isn't necessarily lowering it. We've all done this sort of test. Something can happen during that pre-trip, and, and we think it's okay if you actually do. We don't actually see this like as a super negative, like some of the other policies to bring more drivers into industry. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Um, and- a lot of people aren't really like mechanically inclined. Um, what was failing a lot of people when I was going through training was the airbags on the semi. You know, you'd hear the airbags inflating or deflating to adjust the height of the of the truck, and they thought it was an air leak. So they're panicking, thinking, "Oh God, what's going on? There's an air leak!" And now they're missing, you know, one thing after another. So it's it's one thing when you're like under pressure versus when you're actually doing the job day to day. Your pre trip is basically just you, you just it's something you do by habit and trying to. Um, create those habits in such a short time frame that a lot of these CDL companies or CDL training programs try to do. Um, it's, it's not a very good match. Mm, interesting. So to close that one out, you, you support, this is okay. For, yeah. I, I think as long as it's like a, a, a three strikes, you're out kind of deal. Obviously don't, don't make it like allow you to retake it and retake it and retake it until you pass. You know, it, sh- it should be like, okay, you got one, two. Okay. You're out. All right, I'll defer to the experts then. I'll defer to the drivers. If you guys think it's cool, then then I I will I will support it for you guys. Now, here's something. This is like one of the craziest videos that has come out this year. This driver is lucky to be alive. It happened Monday in Dallas. Fox 4 reports crews had to rescue a driver after a crash left this truck. As you can see in the video, he was dangling off a bridge in Dallas Monday afternoon. Dallas Fire Rescue says that box t- truck crashed at the interchange of I-35 and the Dallas North Tollway just before 2.30 p.m. The Sherwin-Williams truck ended up hanging over the overpass with the driver still inside. Urban Search and Rescue was called to help respond to the crash. After the rescue team stabilized the truck, one team from below came up to help the driver. Another set up a rope system at the tip of the DFR aerial ladder, which I imagine that must be the thing from the truck, the Dallas Fire and Rescue mm-hmm. aerial ladder. Um, team members from underneath the vehicle packed the driver into a harness. They hooked him up to the ladder and they lifted him to the road above. The driver was taken to the hospital for evaluation. I think that he's just minorly injured um maybe a little bit shake it up you might have some ptsd after hanging off the side of a bridge justin oh absolutely and texas loves these like elevated roadways i think about that all the time whenever i was going through dallas because it's just like i think i counted one time it was like five layers of highway stacked on top of each other i think it's the george w bush interchange um yeah you're thinking about that all the time when you're going up those those uh ramps do you never ended up in a you never hung off a bridge before did you did you ever ever come close no no, thankfully, you know, you get people cut you off all the time. It's always the other person you got to watch out for. So drivers, you know, main, maintain situational awareness, check your mirrors, and, you know, maintain your follow distance too. He's lucky that that was a straight truck too. If that had a kingpin yeah. or something, I don't know how long he's going to hang up for. That would change the situation completely a lot. And most times when drivers fall in those things, they're not going to, they're not going to make it. No, I, I believe, I think it was Dallas too. A couple of years ago, there was a tanker that uh, went over the edge and exploded and the driver died. So yeah, this, this stuff happens. I mean, if you Google Sherman Williams, there's more than a few trucks hanging off the side of bridges. I mean, they had an incident, I believe, uh, last year. I don't want to misquote it. I'm, this is, uh, but I, if you Google Sherman Williams, you're going to see a few trucks off the side of overpasses. Yeah, paint is heavy. Um, you know, when you're hauling bulk paint like that, uh, delivering to customers, you know, you, you really got to make sure um, your load is, is uh, properly uh, secured and it's strapped. And again, maintain your maintain follow distance. Does it slosh? Does it slosh almost like a like a tanker, the liquid within it, or not not so much? No, as long as the paint cans are completely filled, you, sh- you should be okay. Yeah, I would think paint cans are usually pretty top to the to the brim when you open one of those things up. Soda was one of the worst ones with that. You feel that sloshing around. <laughs> 
Oh, I would imagine. I mean, that's the one thing about tankers. There's this great, there's this great sort of um, pictures and videos online that sort of show the way liquid moves and mm. moves within a truck. It's great training for drivers. You have to pull a tanker. You can get yourself in trouble really quick because liquid's heavy, and that's a lot of weight that can go to one direction, just throw you over there, and you don't expect it. Next thing you know, you're in a nuclear verdict. Yep, but you hit the brakes and you think you're stopping. Next thing you know, you're being, you're being pushed another 50 feet straight forward. Fishtail, yeah, or straight forward. There's all different directions you can get pushed by that um, momentum. Justin, last week we had a few lootings to show on the show. Very unfortunate. Now there's another FedEx truck looking. Take a look at this video. Fox 5 reports this happened in Chula Vista, California. Chula Vista police are looking for multiple suspects after a FedEx truck was robbed November 30th in the East Lake area. Someone says, uh, was the witness, they said, when I looked out and saw the blue car and saw what was happening, I was mad it was like really no that's my package this was a lady who saw this happen the crime was caught on this home security camera uh she said that she thinks that these guys are actually following a ups truck but then saw that there was two drivers in it and then realized the fedex truck was just an easier option and then within 45 seconds she said to yell them you're on camera these these are so brazen they didn't care they just unloaded the truck as quick as they could and they just took off yeah these are crimes of opportunity and they're actually pretty lucky that this fedex driver wasn't armed Officially, they don't allow their drivers to be armed, but they can ask FedEx security, you know, if they're in a, a high crime area, if they can carry. And there have been uh, situations in the past where, you know, FedEx drivers have uh, defended themselves. Do you ever have anyone uh, do anything like try to rob you or try to get in your truck, like the, into the trailer? No, it, it, at least with the Postal Service, um, what tries to keep thieves at bay, like we, we can't obviously arm ourselves, but we have postal police that will follow the trucks around and the penalties um, for trying to take on a federal employee are a lot higher. Um, so that that usually keeps thieves further away. They, they try to go after like the easier targets. Don't, don't you have spray though? Like for the dogs, can you just spray the guy? Pepper spray him? The, the letter carriers do. Some drivers, you know, I, I kept some in my, in my truck, but they, they kind of frowned upon that. <laughs> I think, do you think that they should let drivers be armed? It, it, the thing is, like, if you're FedEx, do you really want someone to shoot someone over a FedEx truck? Like, how does that play in court and publicly? That's the problem. It's sort of like when you see people running out of stores, you're like, well, why didn't that security guard just kill the guy? And it's like, well, because you just killed the guy over like $50 worth of merchandise. Yeah, it, they have insurance. Everything's insured. Um, it's not worth risking your life over that. Yeah, I know people are like, and those are always the tough guy comments online. They're like, oh, I would have shot yeah. the guy. Like, why? Like, you, it's not going to end up well for you. And now there's a guy, dead packages are still stolen, and now you're in jail. Yeah, and you, you're just doing your job, hoping to clock in, clock out, and go home to your family uh, at the end of the night. The last thing you want is to have years of court cases and lawsuits and everything, you know, stacked on top of that. Can be tough though when you get in the heat of the moment like that and you're challenged and you're threatened yeah, yeah. and, and you, you just don't know. Um, you used to haul some weapons. Did you ever haul nukes like this before though, Justin? Take a look at this video. What is that? That's like an escort, cool. right? Is that guy Yeah, yeah. Spotter? Yeah, this is over in uh, North Dakota, I believe. Um, why they do it like this, I have no idea. Most of the time, they want this stuff kind of kept you know hush hush and very discreet but for whatever reason these guys um i guess because it's active gis and they're going from you know one location to another through town they want it to be as loud as possible and they're, they're bringing in all the toys here it comes i really like the trailer on this i want to know more about this equipment that they're that they're moving with because there's like what panels kind of trailer do they put this on the what kind of trailer do you have to use for a nuke so no, definitely not a roller deck. Is that it right there? Oh, that's a Freightliner. Yep, yeah, it's a Freightliner Argosy. I drove one of those. Ooh, it's 
got the heavy uh, equipment with him too. He's got the military vehicles supporting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't want to be in that guy's way. Don't want to be in that guy's way. We don't want to be in this couple's way either. We got one more dink video. Let's roll the tape. Why is nobody talking about being dinks? Well, I'm freshly married and I'm going to talk about it. Here's a life as dinks in our early 30s. No shocker here, folks. Today we went to Costco. We don't have kids to feed, but we got lots of money to spend on goodies. Brian always checks out while I get a box and then I sit here and look cute. Here's the haul and our total was $252. The registered game at Costco never gets old. You cannot tell me that grocery shopping and a fresh slice of Costco pizza isn't a good date night. I mean, you can tell me that, but I don't believe it. Obviously, we had car cookies for dessert. And yeah, I will probably just make this a series now. So follow along for more dink content. I say I don't think anyone's like really dunking on dinks or dunking on stupid videos like this where they're bragging about like like eating snacks. Where like that lifestyle that you have right there, if you're not having kids because you don't want to go to Costco and eat cheap pizza and eat snacks, you're 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 doing it wrong. That's like that's what you do when you have kids. Yeah, and also these are like couples in their early late twenties, early thirties. It's a whole different story when you're in your late thirties and it's like okay. We're not we're deciding not to have kids versus like we need to have a kid like within the next year or two or the, or we can't have kids. Yeah, you know, it, it gets kind of it gets lonely in your 40s and 50s when, you know, it's just the two of you in, in the house all by yourself. Also, if you're trying to have kids in your late 30s, it gets rough. You know, I'm, I'm I turned 40 this year. I have a three year old. And man, I, I wish we'd started sooner. This is exhausting. Mean, I, yeah, I had my first one in my uh, early to, to mid 30s, the first kid. Um it was a good time. We were able to get everything out of our system. We were able to go and do the things we wanted. We were together for three years beforehand, and it was it was it was great. But obviously, it gets to that point where you have kids. And I got to tell you, my favorite. I know people are going to call us trad dads, like the naysayers, but like it's been <laughs> the best season of my life having kids. And like, I hope they don't grow up too quick. And every day I see like they just turned seven and nine. Every day I look at them, I'm like, slow down. Yeah, when we go to Costco, they always have like the the Pac Man pinball machine out there on, on on sale. He goes he goes straight for that place for a little bit, and then. Um, you know, then we'll go get a Costco pizza while moms are out doing doing the shopping list. It's a great time. Elf in the elf on the shelf, yay or nay? Oh, I'm, I'm in a bunch of Santa Facebook groups. Absolutely not. Those guys hate Elf on the Shelf. Santa Claus hates Elf on the Shelf. Yes. Is he like taking his thunder? He's just like sort of jealous. This other guy's here now. It's 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 basically like a, a new spy device. So they'll they'll ask Santa all these questions about what is Elf on the Shelf saying, and Santa's like, I have no idea. I I yeah right. And then it like gets them called out. They're like, I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's ruining the illusion. It's ruining the illusion. Well, go find Super Trucker on X. Uh, he search bands, so you just have to type the full name in. He'll pop up. Find us at FW at the truck and find me at Timothy Dooner. Take care. Don't be a stranger.